You may be seated as you're doing so. If you'll find your Bibles and go to John chapter 12, I love to hear your voices. There were some times as I sit up here on the front row today as we were singing that I could hear the congregation just singing uh, throughout the room. I just love the sound of God's people worshiping Him. And I know for some people that's a, a new endeavor, this whole idea of singing and expressing yourself to God, but it's a biblical it's a biblical command, it's a drive, and it's the, it's the language of the soul, music is. And so I encourage you to be a worshiper who worships the Lord from the depths of your soul. There was a family who was going on vacation to Hawaii, and they had saved money, and they were looking forward to this vacation, and so they all get on the airplane to fly to this paradise known as Hawaii. And through the entire flight, the dad of the family is uptight. The flight's late taking off. There's not enough leg room. His legs are cramped. The service isn't good enough. It took them forever to get his drink. He's just uptight the entire flight. Mom, on the other hand, she's scared. My poor babies, what if we crash? We're over the ocean. What's going to happen? She's looking at the engine. She's worried. She's anxious the whole time that something's, what was that noise? That something's going to go wrong with the plane. The sixth grader in the family spends the entire flight with her head down. She's got the earphones in, her head on the, on, the, on the iPad, and all she's doing is playing games. She doesn't talk to anybody, doesn't smile, doesn't look up, barely breathes through the entire flight, but she's there, you know, just head down. And then there's the four-year-old, and the four-year-old's talking to everybody he can. Hey, hey, hey we're going to Hawaii. I mean, he's laughing. He's looking out the window, looking at things, just having a ball. Well, eventually the flight lands, and they all get off the airplane. Now, they were all on the same flight. They all arrived at the same time. They all landed in paradise. But the difference is only one enjoyed the journey. Only one of them actually had fun and took in the moment. One of the greatest dangers of life is to be insignificantly successful. Most of us in this room, to some level, are afraid of failure. But what we really need to be afraid of is succeeding in life at things that don't really matter. It is really easy to spend all of our lives crossing off the to-do list, making sure that that we've tried to meet everybody's expectation. And we spend our lives very busy, and we do a lot of things, but in the process of this busyness, we miss out on life itself. We don't enjoy the journey. We don't take it in. Well, today we're going to look at a woman named Mary. I call her Mary of Bethany. And Mary was a woman who learned to enjoy the journey. She was a woman who lived in the moment, who took advantage of the opportunity to worship God with her life when that moment was there. When others around her missed it, she caught it. Whenever we arrive at John chapter 12, there is a massive conspiracy now forming to kill Jesus. Jesus in the chapters preceding this had often said, I am the light of the world. And yet he had also talked about the fact that darkness was coming. The cross was looming. But right now the light was in the world. And he was trying to shine that light 
into the darkness around him so that people might step into the light and be set free by the truth of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus, when he would venture to Jerusalem, he enjoyed hanging out in the little town called Bethany. Bethany was a suburb of Jerusalem, about two miles east, and and it was kind of like a modern-day Murphy, or an ancient Murphy. It was a suburb of the big city. Jesus had some friends there. We met them last week, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so he would often spend time in their house. Now, Mary of Bethany was just a small-town girl, and I won't sing the song for you today, but She was living in the shadows of her siblings. Her brother Lazarus was famous for rising from the dead. I mean, when you rise from the dead, it kind of gets people attention, you know. So he's famous. He's doing magazine shoots, you know, all around the city, you know, rose from the dead. He's a hero doing subway commercials and things like that. Uh, So Lazarus is famous. Everybody's talking about him, all the spotlights on him. And then Martha She was famous for her hospitality. Everybody knew about Martha's cooking. Everybody knew about Miss Martha and how good she was in the kitchen and how she welcomed people. She was kind of like the original Martha Stewart, minus the jail time and all. But she she was loved in the community. She loved cooking. She loved making things special. She also seems to have had a no nonsense attitude. Perhaps she was a little bit abrasive at times, dare I say, rude. She got things done, but she was probably one of these ladies that occasionally people had to just shake their head and say, well, that's just Miss Martha. (laughs) You know any Miss Marthas around there? Yeah, Uh, no one raised their hand. They're like, I'm I'm scared of Miss Martha. I'm not raising my hand about that. Well, in John chapter, or Luke chapter 10, Jesus comes to their home for a visit. And Martha actually tells Jesus, Jesus, would you get Mary, would you tell Mary to get up and help me? Because the Bible says that Martha was so busy doing things and Mary was worshiping at the Lord's feet that Martha comes to Jesus and says, tell her to come help me. In John chapter 12, the passage that we're looking at today, the Bible again says Martha was busy serving them while Jesus was in the living room. You see, Martha often missed it. She got things done. She was efficient. But she often missed out on the little things in life, like the Son of God in your house. She kind of missed those sometimes. Mary of Bethany was often overlooked by others, but she never overlooked others. She took in the moment. The scriptures say in verse 1 of chapter 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of fragrant oil, pure and expensive nard, and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now notice a few things here. Mary of Bethany, we find her three times in the New Testament. And each time we see Mary, she is at the feet of Jesus learning or worshiping. 
Now, evidently, she had actually listened to Jesus when he foreshadowed the cross because she uses an oil which was often used to anoint a body, and she anoints Christ's body for the burial. This was a precious perfume. It was made of nard. It was fit for a king. It was a, probably a family heirloom. It was worth about a year's pay. And she takes it, and she pours it all over the feet of Jesus. Now, Mary seized the moment. Notice how she worshipped. She worshipped out of love. I love how 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I give all I have but have not love, I am nothing. She worshipped Jesus, motivated by a love. One of the most exhausting things in life is to worship God with your actions but not your heart. You're here, you're going through the motions, you're doing what you're supposed to do, but your heart isn't in it. Whenever you worship God without love, it empties you physically and spiritually. But whenever we worship God with love in our heart, it may empty us physically, but it fills us spiritually. Now notice also, Mary worshiped with a passion she went and got the family heirloom. This was probably up on a special shelf. This was the 401k. What if disaster strikes? At least we have the oil. She goes in and gets the, the nard oil and brings it to the feet of Jesus. Now, I'm guessing that had Mary did a survey within the home, it would not have survived the vote. People would have said, there's no way. It, it, it totally does not make sense, Mary, for you to take that expensive oil and pour it all over Jesus' feet. That's worth a year's pay. Are you crazy? No way. No, sir. No, absolutely not. But Mary had a passion about her that overflowed into a generosity. I'm so thankful for those in our congregation who are generous in the way that you support the ministry here. You're generous financially. You're, you're generous in your volunteering to get involved and to help and to make a difference. Mary, with love in her heart, gave God her most valuable asset. And I believe there was an aspect of spontaneity here. The Spirit struck her, and she obeyed. One of the saddest things in life is whenever we lose our spontaneity. We lose our ability to be passionate, to actually feel something. We almost grow numb with life. And instead of enjoying the journey, instead of taking in the moment and living in the moment, we're all tied up in knots. We're not able to really do anything with passion in our soul. Mary was a passionate worshiper. And she seized the moment. She listened to God and she gave God her very best. Now, as I read between the lines about Mary, she probably left some things undone. I'm guessing her laundry probably wasn't done. She probably ate the salad with the wrong fork. I'm guessing she never took the time to upgrade from iPhone 1. 
There's probably a lot of things in her life that were left undone, but there was one thing that she did. She enjoyed the journey. The Son of God was in her home, and she wasn't going to miss it. She saw the light, and she worshipped him wholeheartedly. She gave him her best. Well, now look at verse 4. Then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Now, whenever you see Judas in Scripture, he is always consumed with money. He's always consumed with trying to get ahead. He was in the grip of greed. And so he begins condemning Mary's actions, and he uses a a common argument that people make in church settings often. He uses the, I can't believe you argument. I can't believe that you would give that expensive perfume or that expensive oil to Jesus and just pour it on his feet when there are poor out there that could be helped by the money that could come from that. I can't believe you argument. It's the, I can't believe that you love Jesus and you have that car. I can't believe that you love Jesus and you order that meal. Or I can't believe that you love Jesus and you go on that expensive trip. Don't you know that there are poor people out there that are hurting Now, the problem with the I can't believe you argument is that it's kind of like pointing the finger at someone. You know, your mom said, don't ever point the finger at somebody because when you point, like if I point at Rick, there's three fingers pointing back at me. And and so it's kind of like that because how far are you going to go with that? I, I can't believe that you went to that nice restaurant and ate that expensive meal and they fire back at you. Well, I can't believe that you eat three meals a day. There's a lot of people that don't even eat three meals a day. So you cut back to one meal a day, and someone can still fire at you. I can't believe you eat one meal a day. There's some people in the world that don't eat at all. I mean, it's one of those never-ending arguments. And so when you start getting into this, I can't believe you do that, and I can't believe you do that, it it becomes a, you just start digging a ditch to nowhere. The proper attitude is that we are thankful for the blessings that God gives us. And we live our lives with a generous spirit and also a thankful spirit. And we're appreciative, especially when God gives us something nice or when God gives us something in plenty. We should be the most grateful people around. Now, through the years, I've noticed that there are two groups of people in church life that often use the I can't believe you argument. The first group is really well-meaning. It's the group that has the gift of mercy. And my oldest sister, Debbie, has the gift of mercy. And so we've talked about this a lot through the years. Uh, She has this ability to just care for the hurting. We used to have teenagers come through our youth group. We did youth ministry together back when I was single. My sister kind of played the role of the wife, and I was a single youth minister. And so we would have teenagers come through that were just rough, rough kids. And, I, and, and Debbie would always be like, he's such a sweet boy. And I'm like, yeah, as the police take him off to jail, he's a sweet boy. But she just had that gift of mercy. She was a caring, loving person and willing to give of herself. And, and there's a caution here. If you have that that gift from the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful gift, and God uses you to lead the charge within the community and within the church in that way. 
But be careful that you don't pour out false guilt upon other people. Because there may be other people in your congregation that love Jesus, but they have a little bit different perspective or a different calling, and you have to be careful that you're not guilty of gift abuse where you start taking your gift and pouring out false guilt on other believers who also love Jesus because they're not exactly like you. Now, the second group that often uses the I can't believe you argument is those that need to control. And what they display is what Judas displayed, a false humility. I can't believe you did this because you should be doing this. Now, what these individuals will do is they will give you checklists. Here are the things that you need to change. You need to add this to your life. You need to take this away from your life. And, and you need to change all this. Here's your list. Shh, okay? I even faxed it to you. Or not faxed it to you. Texted it to you. And then you go out and you, you, you fill out all the checklists, okay? I, I got and you come back and you say, hey, I did it all. I changed it all. Here you go. And they say, good. While you've been gone, I made another list for you. You, you can never please those who use false humility, who are just out to control you. Because they use that to just try to control your behavior. Judas had a false humility. He didn't really care about the poor. He cared about himself. He cared about his own gain. And he was stealing from his friends. He was stealing from the ministry of Jesus. Now here's what's tragic about Judas. And I understand that he played a, a divine role within the passion story and how that fits with sovereignty. But as I look at Judas, there's so much opportunity. Jesus is right in front of him. He spends three and a half years living with Jesus. The other, 11, the other 11 did great things. They started churches. They changed the world. They wrote books of the Bible. Judas, in the grip of greed, betrays Jesus and dies young. He misses the opportunity. Life was right in front of him. And he misses it for a few coins in a bag. Back during my dink days, uh, dink stands for double income, no kids. Uh, Stacy and I used to be dinks back in our Austin days. And uh, we used to go to the movies a lot. And so we would go to the movies and watch a movie. And when we'd go there, sometimes I would whisper over to her during the movie, uh, that was really unrealistic. You know, that special effect there, that, that, that didn't look right. Or the acting would be bad. And I'd be like, man, that was horrible. Do you see the way that guy delivered that line? He could have done it this way or that. I can't, that, that script writing was awful. And I remember one day, she just looked at me and she said, would you just watch the movie? Just stop it. Just enjoy watching the movie. You don't have to pick it apart. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, being critical in life is not an inherently bad thing. In fact, Learning to be discerning can help you in a lot of ways. In the job market, uh, in your job career, if, if you're able to discern and make critical decisions, you'll probably go up the ladder. It can help you in your stewardship. You decide, okay, this is a good 
deal from my family. This, this is not. This is where we need to go. This is where we don't need to go. And, and you're, you're able to see the pros and cons. It can sometimes make you efficient. In academic life, it can help you if you have the ability to do critical thinking. There's even classes on critical thinking. But if you're not careful, you will develop an inability to turn off your criticism. And you start letting that pour over into other areas of life. And you become a cynical person. Or you become that individual that is very critical in your relationships. And you're not able to appreciate those people around you. And if you're not careful, that strength of your ability to be discerning can become an extreme weakness. Because you pick apart, you tear down all those around you. And in the process, it robs you of the joy of life. You have an inability to enjoy the moment. You can't appreciate people for who they are. You can't let them work through their struggles, and you don't live in grace. Academically, you understand that you are saved by grace, but that grace that God has extended to you, you don't extend to anybody else, and you can't figure out why people don't want to hang around you. That hurt, didn't it? Whenever that critical spirit starts pouring out into areas of life that involve love and worship, it can be very detrimental to your life. You have to learn to use it as a strength and not let it become a weakness. Now, the Marys of the world, Marys of the world are always going to be criticized. Uh, Mary probably made a few C's in high school. I'm not giving you excuses to make C's in high school, but Mary probably made a few C's in high school. She poured out the 401K on Jesus' feet. She wasn't any help in the kitchen, but she didn't miss the moment. People criticized her for it, but she didn't miss the moment. The Marys of the world will always be criticized. What do you do whenever people criticize you? Anybody ever been criticized in your life? Absolutely not, right? What do you do whenever people criticize you? I'm going to give you five things to do whenever people criticize you. I'm going to go quickly here. If you're writing them down, uh, write quickly. Don't worry about penmanship right now, okay? No one's criticizing your penmanship, right? Number one, consider the source. Consider the source. Sometimes the source is just crazy, all right? I don't need to go any further, all right? I've considered the source. It's crazy, and I can just move on, okay? Uh, but consider the source. The source might be someone that you really respect. Number two, consider the criticism. What did they say? It may be stinging me right now, and right now it may hurt a little bit that they've criticized me, but there may be some truth in there. There may be some opportunity for growth in what they've said. Number three, check your heart. Ask God to, to allow you to look within you and to check your heart. Has some apathy crawled into my life? Has some uh, bitterness maybe crawled into my life? Lord, are there things within my soul that, that need to change? Number four, correct as led. Correct as the Holy Spirit leads you. As you consider the criticism, you consider the source, you've checked your heart, there may be some areas where the Lord says, okay, I've used that event in your life to show you that there's a change that needs to take place here. So correct as led. And number five, continue in worship. Continue in worship. Continue, honor, continue honoring God. Continuing, continue doing that which you know is right. There's all sorts of things you can quit in life. You can quit ping pong. You can quit Xbox. 
You can quit watching movies, but don't quit worshiping. Don't quit doing the right things. Don't quit serving God. Hey, there's no quitting in ministry, right? You keep serving God until he comes for you. It's a lifelong calling, and Mary could have quit. She had, she had Judas coming down on her. She probably had people in the house saying, uh-huh, that's right, what are you doing? She could have quit. She could have missed out on what was important. She could have appeased the crowd. But had she done that, she would have missed it. She would have missed the moment. Well, Jesus answers in verse 7, leave her alone. Back off. Leave Mary alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. I love it when Jesus comes to the rescue. Hey, be quiet. Leave her alone. I like what she's doing. This is good. She was foreshadowing what was about to happen. She was foreshadowing the burial of Jesus. Jesus is like, she's listened. She gets it. She's worshiping. Leave her alone. Now, I want to bring all that I've talked to you about today together in three statements. And I'm going to try to do this quickly before you criticize me for preaching too long, okay? Uh, Number one, you can't live up to everybody's expectations. There will always be people out there who don't get what you're doing. There will always be people out there that are more than happy to criticize you. The Judases of the world are not going away until Armageddon. And what's ironic is the Judases of the world are often hanging out with the 11 good guys. And you cannot live up to everybody's expectations. You you can spend all your time trying to please the Judases of the world, and you're going to live your life exhausted. I want to challenge you to do one thing and to do it really well. Honor God. Honor God in your marriage. Honor God in your parenting. Honor God in your friendships. Honor God in your relationships. Try to honor God at work. Honor God in your church. Honor God in your neighborhood. Do that and do it really well. I can't meet everybody's expectations. I can't do everything everybody wants me to do, but I can do one thing, and to the very best of my ability, I'm going to try to honor God. And when you go to bed at night, go to bed with a clear conscience. Ask yourself, have I, to the best of my ability, as God has led me through this day, tried to honor Him? If you've honored God with your day, if you've honored Him with your time, then sleep well. You've lived life to the fullest. There's no more full way for you to live life than to honor God in your life. Number two, choose where you will cheat. Choose where you will cheat. I heard a sermon on this by Andy Stanley when I was young in the ministry that really helped me. Uh, He said, you're going to cheat somewhere in life because there's not enough of you and there's not enough enough time to do everything well. So there's somewhere in your life that you're going to cheat. You may cheat on your marriage. You may cheat on your family. You may cheat on your job. You may cheat on your church. Perhaps you cheat on your lawn or your laundry. But somewhere in your life, you're going to cheat because you don't have enough time and energy to do everything that's out there. And so he said, choose where you're going to cheat. 
make that decision. Okay, these are the things that are priority in life. I have to give them attention. And even if this gets overlooked, I'm going to give this attention. We have to learn a radical word. I mean, this word is radical. We have to learn the word no. I told you it's a radical word. Okay. Anybody in here ever have a hard time saying no? Yeah, I just can't say no. <laughs> just me. I just can't say no. The reality is that every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something. If I say yes, I'll go over here and I'll give my time and my energies to this, then I'm saying no to something else because the time that I'm giving that, I'm saying no to this over here. That's the reality. Every time you say yes, you're saying no. You may not realize you're saying no, but you are. And in the process, there are areas of your life that you are cheating in order to do this over here. Choose where you're going to cheat. Decide what is priority. Decide what honors God and spend your energies and spend your time in those areas. And even if some things go undone, it's okay because you're honoring God with your time and your life. Number three, ask God to help you enjoy the journey. Ask God to help you enjoy the journey. Are you having fun? Are you having fun? Are you enjoying life? Are you enjoying your marriage? Are you enjoying your kids? Are you, are you having fun? Ask God to help you enjoy the journey. I know it can be stressful. There's times that I just pray for bedtime to get here quickly. Lord, please. I got three now. We're on zone defense, you know. I know it can be stressful. But enjoy the journey. A a big part of maturity in life is the ability to recognize what's important in life and what's just busy work. I remember whenever McKenna was born. Some of y'all were around back then when McKenna was born. How many of y'all were here whenever she was born? Whenever she was born, we were were new to the church. It was the first year I was here at Murphy Road. It was, it was a tough time in life. It was a good time in life, but it was also tough. We, we had been living up in Denison, Texas, and we were trying to relocate here, and we were called to Murphy Road right in the teeth of the housing collapse. Great time to sell a house, let me tell you. And so we were trying to get down here. I was commuting 70 miles you know, one way back and forth, and finally the Lord opened up a, an avenue for us to get down here, and so we were packing the house with a three-month-old. Now, you hadn't lived until you tried to do a U-Haul trip with a three-month-old. So, and McKenna, God bless her, she just never slept. She yelled at us all night long. It was tough. And so uh, we were going through all this, not sleeping, trying to move. Uh, we were adjusting to a new ministry and, and trying to you know, get established here. And we were really, really busy with a lot of good things, a lot of good stuff in our life, just, just very, very busy. And so one day... I'm taking care of McKenna, and I looked down at her, and I realized she wasn't a newborn anymore. I was like, what happened? She's growing teeth. She's thinking about crawling. She's doing physics homework. What happened? Just a couple months ago, she was, she was a newborn. And the Spirit of God struck me at that moment. 
And the Holy Spirit just convicted my heart and said, Lash, you've been so busy with all this stuff, you've missed out on the first couple months of your baby's life. You've missed it. Don't miss it. And I remember praying there as I was holding McKenna, Lord, help me not to miss it. Don't be the guy. Don't be the girl that succeeds in life at a bunch of stuff that doesn't really matter and fails at the few things that do. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment. The band's going to come and lead us in worship. I want you to worship wholeheartedly today. Worship with passion. Worship with intensity. I'm here at the front. If there's anything that I can pray with you about, help you with, it's always my honor to pray with you and to talk with you, encourage you along the way. I'll be here after the service as well, and if there's something you want to talk to me about, it's my honor to pray with you and talk to you. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of worship and the gift of life, and help us not to miss it. Help us not to waste our lives. Lord, help us to honor you in all things. Help us to seize the moment. I pray for that dad or that mom, that child whose life has gone numb, who doesn't feel anymore, who's lost the ability to be spontaneous, the ability to truly love. Somewhere along the course of life, they've been hurt. And I pray that you might heal the wound. Allow us to sit at your feet and just honor you and praise you. Help us, Lord, not to miss out on the few things in life that really matter. Help us, Lord, not to be insignificantly successful. But may we pour out our lives for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.